Amen. Uh, I don't know if we said it today. I know the kids did, but let me be the one to tell you Merry Christmas. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Just leave me hanging. See, Christmas is a season of giving. That's, I think, what we all think about, right? Uh, we think of giving, and, and I think kids primarily think of gifts. And maybe you have certain traditions around Christmas that make Christmas a Merry Christmas for you. This season is a season of praise and worship as well. And so I hope you realize that this chil- these children just gave you a gift. They gave you a gift of leading you in worship, leading you in worship our King and our Savior. They gave you, I think, the best gift you're going to get today. Amen? But it's also probably fair to say that all these kids who are up here also have gifts that they're looking forward to themselves. I know that ours do. In our house, one of our family traditions is right after Thanksgiving, we go out and get a tree. And uh, it's, of course, the kid's job to pick the tree and mom's job to finalize their pick of the tree. And so we have a thermos full of hot chocolate, and we go out on the farm, and we look at all these different trees, and we find what is the Charlie Bound tree that we're going to get this year for our family. That's an inside joke for us from last year. And so uh, we get the tree home, and we set it up, and then we spend the rest of the evening putting lights on and putting ornaments on. And they're usually ornaments that we have uh, accrued over the years through other holiday things. And that reminds Elisa and myself of the different years gone by. We have one for each child and each year that they were born. So that's special to us to put those on the tree. Well, it's probably the very next day after I come home from work or after we get back that I come home and I see that there are presents already underneath the tree. And I'm sure you can imagine what some of these presents look like. They're wrapped in plain printer paper with too much tape and in crayon written to mom or to dad from so-and-so or two brothers, two sister from so-and-so. I have no idea what's in them, but I can guess they're probably some kind of an odd and end that they've been rummaged through the toy box and they've put together for us. But the thing is, is that those gifts mean something when we open them. They mean something because of of the love and the affection that was put into them. It, it doesn't matter what what the gift is itself. It matters who gave it to us and why they gave it to us. Well, there's other gifts that we think about when we talk about Christmas. Some of you may have had a gift in your childhood or maybe even currently that you're so fixated on uh, that you almost can think of nothing else. If you're a movie buff, then you're going to like a few of these that I throw out to you. Perhaps you've heard of a Christmas story where he wanted an official Red Rider carbine action, 200-shot, range model air rifle with a compass in the stock. And if you've ever watched that movie, he mentions that probably over 30 times. This is, of course, a childish infatuation, but he, he dearly desires this gift. Or perhaps there was a gift that you wanted that you didn't receive for a really long time, and then when you finally did receive it, it was that much more meaningful to you, like the Santa Claus movie, where she wanted a mystery date board game, and he wanted an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. See, those gifts are precious memories. They remind us of the nostalgic meaning of Christmas. Some may have wanted something that couldn't fit in boxes or bags or be stuffed under a tree. I think of Home Alone, where Kevin McAllister went up to uh, one of Santa's workers, and he asks him, would you please tell Santa 
that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. No toys. Nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Linny, and Jeff, my aunt and my cousin, and if he has time, my Uncle Frank. And so even though he had hated these people, when he was left without them, he realized their value. And then lastly, and probably my most favorite of all, perhaps we desire something so deeply that words cannot adequately express and that no human can actually give. For me, I think the ultimate movie and the one I'm going to reference right now is It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey was given a gift, a gift of a second chance, a gift of enlightenment, understanding, a gift of joy and of passion again that he had had robbed from him. This is something that not even the richest man on earth could buy. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. And as you're turning there, I want to talk to you about the reason of this season we call Christmas. As we think of the gift of God's grace. Let's unpack that phrase if we can. Firstly, we need to go then to Ephesians. So as you're turning, you can look up here. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Let us be reminded this season that this is a gift. It is a season of gifting. And do you know why that is? Because this is the season that we remember the ultimate gift. And this is a gift by grace. What grace means, if you don't know, what grace is, is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so during this holiday season, rest assured that this is a season of grace. And in Ephesians 2.8, we see that by this grace we have been saved through faith. That this isn't your own doing, it's, it's a gift of God's. We can't earn it. You know, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes we like to buy Christmas presents for ourselves. And we cruise Macy's or Amazon or the dollar store or whatever it is that you get your gifts from. And we like to buy and treat ourselves, but God's word tells us that this gift is a very special gift. This is a gift that no mere mortal can give you. It is a gift from God. And then that begs the question, so what is this gift? What is this gift? What is this gift that could possibly save us? Well, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, this gift is a gift of love. A gift of love that became flesh. A love so real that it had to take on physical form. And so God sent down his son. As we look at the text, look at it with me on the screen, or if you're turning there with you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He wasn't forced to do this. You see, God wanted to do this. Just like my children who who wrap up those pieces of paper, those little trinkets and odds and ends with that printer paper, and then they tape it all up. That is their desire. Nobody's forcing them to do this. This is their own free will. And so just like them, but in a sense that is beyond our comprehension, God so loves you that he offers you a gift this Christmas. The gift of his son. 
the gift of himself, the gift of a relationship. And it says here that this is not only a gift of love, but a gift of his son, and also primarily then a gift to save. A gift that if we receive it, we will not perish, but instead have eternal life. Now, they talked a little bit about it this morning, so I want to reference them. Who is this son of God who was given to us? An angel said to her in, in Luke one thirty through 31, an angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so Jesus is the reason for the season. The kids told us that. The scripture says, by the mouth of infants, by the mouth of babes, he will be proclaimed. And that has happened before your presence this morning. Jesus is the reason for Christmas. Maybe you've heard the saying, keep Christ in Christmas. And I would say you can't have Christmas without Christ in it. But I understand the sentiment. And so Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who was given. And Christmas is the remembrance of his birth, but babies are born every day. So what is so special about this baby? How is this baby a gift of the grace by which you are saved and in which we need to believe? How is that the case? Well, Matthew 1, 21 tells us that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, this incarnate gift of God's grace, is a gift because he will save us from our sin. And so we can't talk about Christmas without talking about sin. And I know maybe in your mind you're thinking, hey, those should be diametrically opposed. Sin doesn't make me happy. Presents make me happy. During Christmas I want to talk about things that make me happy, not things that make me sad. Well, you cannot enjoy a sunny day without a rainy day. And so it's paramount that we understand that Jesus came as a gift to save us from sin. How did he do that, you might ask? Well, Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, in Isaiah 53.5, there's big words that not everybody always understands. Words like transgressions, iniquities, chastisement. And so praise God that the Bible interprets the Bible, and 2 Corinthians makes it much more clear for us this morning. When 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And And so what he's saying here is this, that Jesus saves us from our sins because he took sin for us. He took sin for you. That is what makes Christmas a merry Christmas. That is the gift of God's grace that Jesus gives us what we don't deserve, his grace, and takes by mercy that which we did, which was the punishment for our sin. And all of that, all of that in the beginning of the Gospels, finds fulfillment in Matthew 28. Because the gift of this baby, Jesus dying for our sin, taking our sin, 
would not have been effective had he still been in the grave. And so I want to take you to Matthew 28 this morning. And I want to tell you that this Christmas, the best gift that you have been offered is the gift of salvation secured for you in Jesus. Have you received this gift? And if you have, and I pray that you have, then the next questions I think we should ask as we look at this text is, how do we cherish this gift? And how do we live in light of it? See, gifts are meant to be enjoyed. Gifts are meant to be used. When your grandma gave you that sweater, she wants you to wear it. And just like that, when God gave us Christ, he wants us to live in him. And so now that you are there at Matthew 28, 5 through 7, before we get into God's word and we, we dig out what I think this means to cherish this gift and to live in light of it, will you, will you join with me as we pray? God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for these children that led our worship today. We thank you that we can gather together and bring you that worship. We thank you that by your love for us, you have offered us this gift of grace in Christ Jesus. Lord, we know that this gift is ours to possess because the purchase has been made by the blood of your Son. We know that the purchase Jesus made was successful because he was raised from the dead. His resurrection is our receipt of this gift of grace. And so, Father, help us as we look at your text to receive it if we have not, to cherish it afresh if we have, and to ever be changing our hearts to live in light of it, both now and and every day hereafter. That is our prayer. Amen. So hopefully you've made it there. I gave you enough time. Matthew 28, 5-7 says this, But the angels said to the woman, the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so if you have received this gift of God's grace, the question I have is, how do we cherish it? How do we live life according to it? And I think the first thing is simply this found in the text. Do not be afraid, but rather seek Jesus. In verse 5, it says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Firstly, understand that the angels here are speaking to the women, not to the guards. The guards were absolutely and utterly terrified. It says that they were so fearful that they basically fainted and become as dead men before this angel, and rightly so. And so scripture tells us time and time again that if we say we don't have sin, we make God to be a liar. If we say we have sin, uh, if we say we have uh, not sinned, let let me start over just for a minute. I'm getting excited. If we are not seeking Jesus, we have all the reason in the world to be afraid. That's what I'm getting at. We'll just cut the mustard. But the angel says to the women, Do not be afraid. Why? For I know you seek Jesus. 
And so if we're seeking Jesus, we have no need to be afraid. So therefore, that's the first point. Do not be afraid, rather seek Jesus. What are the things that we are often afraid of that we need not fear? Well, first might be rejection. Think of these women as they prepared to go to this tomb. Scripture tells us that they're wondering how they're going to roll this giant rock away. But also think of how they are in society. Right now, women are ostracized anyway, and then all the more, if they're going to say that they claim to be one of those zealous Christ followers, they're already second-class citizens, and now they're going to put their foot in that camp. What happens if somebody sees them on the way to the tomb or sees them while they're at the tomb? They will forever be chastised as one of those crazy Jesus followers. But there's other rejection we sometimes fear when we try to seek Jesus, isn't there? Fear of rejection from your family and from your friends. You see, I think we have a luxury here in America. It's both a luxury and a curse, maybe. We have a luxury in America by if we tell people that we're a Christian, they kind of just say, okay, good for you. In other countries, do you realize that when you tell people you're a Christian, they might come to your house and try to throw rocks through your window until they kill all your family? Or they might take you from your family and then put you in some kind of a camp? Or they might just take you before a big crowd and lop your head off where everybody can see. But the angel speaks to these women. He says, do not be afraid. Instead, seek Jesus. Do not be afraid of the fear of rejection from government or for employers or from society. I don't know if you've noticed, but it is becoming increasingly not cool to be a Christian. It is increasingly becoming hate speech to just simply say the things that God's word says. Just reading it aloud publicly in the black and white is becoming something that is becoming frowned upon and ostracized from society. And I have bad news for you. It's going to get worse. But scripture tells us, do not fear. Instead, seek Jesus. Don't worry about your employer. Don't worry about how you're going to feed your family or the clothes you need. Did Jesus himself not say, I know that you need these things. Your heavenly father is going to provide them for you. Don't worry about being rejected from society. Was not our Lord and Savior himself rejected and cast aside? Is that not what brought him ultimately to the cross as one who is delivering people and performing miracle after miracle and yet they turn their back on him? I think there's another kind of fear of rejection that maybe you might be dealing with or maybe you know someone who's dealing with it. Don't fear rejection from the church or from other Christians. See, I think some people don't come to Jesus because they think to themselves, I can only come to him when I'm good enough. I can only come to church when I'm clean enough. I can only come and worship him when I'm ready, when, when, when I'm at the place where, no, 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 my friend. Jesus comes to you right where you are. Jesus doesn't turn you away if you have a broken heart before him. Do not fear just seek Jesus. Or perhaps it's not rejection that you fear. Perhaps it's just tomorrow. There's so many uncertainties, right? Who knows if we'll get sick tomorrow? Who knows if there'll be a disaster tomorrow? Have you watched the news? Have you seen Kentucky? Now, thankfully, we live in Michigan and there's not a whole lot of things, but the way things are going, I mean, 
Don't put all your eggs in the safe Michigan basket, right? I mean, who knows at this point? But perhaps you're one who just fears tomorrow. Perhaps it's the anxiety of the unknown that really bothers you. It's not rejection of people. Instead, it's you don't know what tomorrow brings, and so therefore you constantly live in a state of fear and dread. You lack hope and joy and peace. But again, what does the scripture say? Do not fear, just seek Jesus. Didn't our Lord and Savior himself say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the rest of these things? are going to be added to you. They're going to be taken care of, Jesus says. There's other things that are real things that we can have. And I'm not saying, you know, disaster and those things. I, I'm a father. I have children. I fear tomorrow sometimes because I wonder if my kids are going to turn out the way that I want them to turn out. Uh, some of you, your kids are grown. And you're at a place where now it's maybe tomorrow is retirement for you. Or maybe you're right on the edge and for you tomorrow is extended health care or nursing home or assisted living. And there's real fear there. There's fear of wondering if I'm going to screw up and be the dad that God has called me to be or be the mom that God has called us to be or be the spouse that he has called us to be. There's fear of making the wrong decision and then not having the right kind of retirement or having the wrong kind of home for mom or dad or for placing ourselves in. But what does Scripture say? Do not fear, rather seek Jesus. Or perhaps it's fear of death. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, we need not fear death because Jesus has victory over it. Don't you see that that is what the resurrection proves? That now death is merely a doorway that all of us may one day walk through if he tarries any longer. But yet we can enter into the grave without any fear whatsoever, knowing that our Jesus has conquered the grave. Remember our sermon just yesterday? This is where death died, is in the tomb. Not yesterday next Sunday. Every day is like yesterday was Sunday and then tomorrow is also Sunday when you're, when, you're, when you're a preacher. It's just every day is the next. But we need not fear death when Jesus has victory over it. So I want to move to our next thing by reiterating, if you missed it, beloved, do not fear. Seek Jesus. And I think that you might be asking the question, okay, how do we know then? How do we know that we can really trust Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. It says in the text, in verse 6, he is faithful in what he says. That's why we can trust Jesus. That's why we can seek Jesus and not be afraid. He's faithful in what he says in in verse uh, 6 here. He is not here, for he has risen as he said And if you don't believe it, come see the place where he lay. Remember just last week, these women were at this tomb. They watched the body be placed. They watched the stone be rolled. They knew they weren't at the wrong place. 
It's not that Garmin gave them redirections. Jesus is faithful in what he says. I don't know if you remember this or not, but in, I'm going to tell you, you can, you can mark it in your scriptures if you want to on the side note there. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is faithful in what he says. Let me give you a, a logical kind of argument. It's, the, it's, a, it's argumentation that is an argument from, from a greater to a lesser. Okay? This, this is how this goes. If I have enough money in my bank account to buy a $50,000 brand new vehicle, okay? If. Then I do have enough money because I have that. If that's the case, then I absolutely have enough money to buy a brand new $20,000 vehicle, Right? And, and, and if that, then I absolutely have enough money to buy a $10,000 vehicle. And then absolutely I have enough money to buy a $500 vehicle. Are you, are you following my logic here? And so here's why this matters. If Jesus is faithful in what he says, if Jesus can do all of these great things, if Jesus is God incarnate, if that God is able to say, let there be light and there is light, is there anything outside of his power and his control and his ability? And if that's the case, why, oh why, do we battle with fear? Do not fear, trust in Jesus, for he is faithful in what he says. Ezekiel twenty four fourteen. I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass, I will do it, I will not go back, I will not spare, I will not relent. Here's another one in case you missed it. John uh, six thirty nine. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Or John 14, 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. You see, the argument from greater to lesser is the reason we can have a fearless faith in Christ Jesus, in this gift of God's grace. Because he's faithful in what he says. But there's more. You see, Jesus also goes before you and will meet you. Look at the text again with me in verse 7 now. Uh, The angel says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has raised from the dead. And behold, here it is, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you in Matthew 26, 31 through 32, Jesus says to them, yeah, go ahead, turn there. I'll give you just a minute. Matthew 26, 31 through 32, right? That's not that far. We can make it. You can also mark in your margin if you want to. 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Do you also see here, Jesus is referencing scripture to tell you that he will do the things that he has accomplished. But then he goes on. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And that's exactly what he's going to do. That's exactly where they meet him. 
in Galilee, just like he said. And he goes before him. He went before them, before the court. He goes before them to Galilee. He goes before them by the power of the Holy Spirit into all the nations. And he goes before you. And so all those fears that you have about tomorrow, Jesus is outside of space and time, and he knows the beginning from the end. All those fears that you have about how you're going to provide or what's coming next, Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus literally speaks things into existence from nothing. Your final place on this earth is going to be in a grave. And there, too, Jesus has already been. He does what you can't do. He's been where you might go. And he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. From his birth to death, to the second birth. Isaiah 45, 2, I will go before you and I will level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. And Jesus himself said, even the gates of hell will not withstand. See, Jesus is faithful in what he says. He goes before you and so therefore we can honestly and earnestly not fear and instead seek Jesus. And so that brings me to the last part of my message this morning for you, which is simply this. I can't do it for you. I can't cherish this for you. I can't live in light of this truth for you. I can't accept it for you. Just like grandma's sweater. She gives it to you. You have to decide to put it on. You have to decide to unwrap it. You have to decide not to keep it in the closet and only wear it when grandma comes over. We have to decide to wear Christ every single day and enjoy Christ every day, not just put him on for Easter or Christmas, not just put him on when we come to church on Sunday, not just put him on when we're having the pastor over for dinner. We have to wear Christ every single day. And so here's the bottom line. Today you have been told the good news of the gift of God's grace, which is the gospel. Today have you have been told by this foolish, stupid, mortal man, but you have also been told by Matthew. You have also been told by angels. You have also been told by God himself in his word made flesh. Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That is the gift of the good news of Christmas. to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. So that's the climax of his movie. Everything up until that point, that is... George Bailey's turning point. 
what is yours? Now he calls out in a fantasy, this is a movie, he calls out to Clarence. Let's re-say, let me reread to you what he has said to Clarence, but let me substitute a name. Jesus. Jesus, help me, Jesus. Bring me back. Bring me back. I don't care what happens to me. Help me, Jesus. Please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, help me live again. This is the glorious gift of God's grace. Have you received it? Will you cherish it? And will you live your life in light of it? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for this amazing gift of grace. That you would love us so much, even even in our sin. You love us and reach into the murk and to the mire of the darkness of the death and you offer us your hand. God, I pray for all those who are here or who might be listening to this, who, who have not known you as their own personal Lord and Savior, that they would receive this gift right now. That they would put off fear and they would put on Jesus. That they would repent from their sin, that they would take the hand of our Lord and Savior that you offer to them. That is the gift of your grace and they would be born anew. Like George Bailey, you would give them a second chance in Christ Jesus. God, for those who may be listening to this who have received that gift, let us cherish it afresh. Let us meditate on us this Christmas, for this is the gift of your grace, and it is by Jesus that we can have any hope of having a merry Christmas. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.